Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Robert Zirk. My co-host Nolan Bicknell is on vacation this week. On today's show, we'll learn about Wildlife Haven's sustainable new habitat and how it's teaching conservation through animal rescue. We'll speak with President Judy Robertson and Animal Care Coordinator Tiffany Louie to learn more. Then we're headed on another RC360 road trip, and this one takes us to Manitou to visit Nellie's Homes, the previous homes of author, activist, and politician Nellie McClung. Al Thorleafson of the Nellie McClung Heritage Site Committee will share stories and take us on a tour of the homes. And we'll speak with Kathy Strachan, Executive Director of Villa Rosa, to learn more about Villa Rosa and how it's helping mothers in need. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Hello and welcome to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today. My co-host Nolan Bicknell is enjoying some time off this week, and... It sure is a great weekend to do so, seeing as how it's Folk Fest. So there's lots of great music there to enjoy. And even if you're not at Folk Fest this week, hope you're having a great summer so far. Hope you had a great Canada Day this past weekend. We've got a really fantastic show lined up for you today. We're going to start things off with Wildlife Haven. And uh, we actually had the pleasure of visiting their new campus, as well as their present campus, which is in Ildeshane, just southeast of Winnipeg. And it was really cool to uh, to see their work in action and to also get to meet some of their, uh, their wildlife ambassadors. As you'll find out in the story, uh, they do some really fantastic work. So we're really excited to, uh, to share that with you. Before we get to that, though, about 70% of the wildlife that Wildlife Haven rescues are birds. So we thought we'd begin the show with A Little Bird Told Me by Blue Lou Barker, right here on River City 360. A little bird. Love me. We believe that it's 
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today. What do you do when you see an animal that's injured or in need of help? Sometimes the answer isn't always clear, and that's where Wildlife Haven Rehabilitation Center comes in. Wildlife Haven is a wildlife rehabilitation center that helps advise, evaluate, and care for injured, orphaned, and sick wildlife across Manitoba. In a given year, they provide care for around 1,700 animals, and during busy seasons, they can have 200 to 300 animals in care at a time. But that's not all that Wildlife Haven does. As President Judy Robertson explains, Wildlife Haven also provides educational programming around wildlife ecology and conservation, and one of the ways that they do this is through their wildlife ambassadors. We do have some non-releasable birds of prey that are our wildlife ambassadors, so they act as ambassadors for their species, and they come into care because they've either been injured or they were sick or they were uh, very young and have become imprinted on the people that rescued them. They have their own story, but people can learn from their story. They can learn about the beauty of the species. And we like to teach people how to live with wildlife and, you know, when to rescue, when not to rescue. And we try very hard to care for what comes through the door and to teach people when it needs to come to us, and and how they can respond. Wildlife Haven has never had a permanent home. Its present site is in a decommissioned dairy barn in Ile de Chaine, about 25 kilometers southeast of Winnipeg. That will soon change, as it builds its new habitat for wildlife with support raised through its capital campaign. Our volunteers have always had a dream that someday we'll have a place to call our own and uh, be able to do the best we can for wildlife. It's not easy, but we happen to be in the right place at the right time. Trans-Canada Corporation gave us two 25-year leases for 18-plus acres right next to their pumping station. This was the start of the dream coming true. We've been working toward building a state-of-the-art campus so that we can have a better facility that's able to cope with all of the cases that we get through the door, but also be able to educate the public about nature, about so many other things. Our building is up. It's about 10,000 square feet for the hospital area and a separate area for our wildlife education ambassadors and an education center, as well as a separate area for our administration staff and our volunteers, an area for them to meet and enjoy some space that's away from the animals. And sustainability was a key consideration in the design of its new facilities. So the building itself is geothermal. We have a separate building that will be for overwintering waterfowl. It has two pools in it. It will be geothermal as well. And then there's an outside pond for the waterfowl. We have two large flyways, and it will be a space for the larger raptors to build the mussels after we've had them in care for a while to get them back into the best flying conditioning. We will have separate enclosures for the various species, the foxes, the coyotes, the raccoons, the squirrels, the songbirds. We have a a naturalized wetland now, and we have a tall grass prairie, so, and a fruit orchard. So we're hoping to do a great deal of uh, educational programs 
that we can teach a lot of people about not just uh, wildlife, but nature itself and how wildlife relates to nature. Wildlife Haven is making sure that the new facilities are the best that they can be for the animals and for those who work with them. We wanted a sustainable building. We know that some things, you know, it's expensive to move to a new facility. We did a lot of research. We followed the standards. There's minimum standards with the International Wildlife Rehabilitation Society. So we're trying to build it right the first time. And so we've also uh, worked with the zoo on their caging and, and how best to put things in play so we don't have animals escaping, that they're not going to get hurt, that they're going to be happy. The air quality inside the building will be phenomenal because there's three different areas that have the air is taken out of the building. So anyone inside the building is not going to be breathing animal air. That that animal air will be going outside and not circulated. So we've put a lot of thought and a lot of energy into this. We want to do it right. It's very exciting because we're so close. Wildlife Haven is truly a volunteer-driven organization, and Judy mentioned that there will be even more opportunities for people to help out once the new campus is ready. Um, On our website, we have just put up our volunteer application. If they go to our website at www.wildlifehaven.ca, there should be information there about the various things that we do, and the application form is there. And what we will do is uh, look at the application Um, You may receive a call from a volunteer coordinator and we'll arrange for an orientation and find out what the interest of the person is. And once we move, we're certainly going to have even more opportunities. So we're going to need lots of help. Thanks so much to Judy Robertson, the president of Wildlife Haven Rehabilitation Centre, for speaking with me. And when we come back, we'll speak with Tiffany Louie, the animal care coordinator at Wildlife Haven, and we'll learn more about Wildlife Haven's rehabilitation work. But before we get to that, though, here is Glenn Miller with Runnin' Wild, right here on River City 360.
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today. A few weeks ago, I spoke with Tiffany Louie, the Animal Care Coordinator at Wildlife Haven Rehabilitation Center, to learn a little bit more about the work that it does to help rehabilitate wildlife in Manitoba. How many animals does Wildlife Haven typically see in a year, and, and what are some of the animals that might find their way to the center? the animals that we get into the center varies uh, during the seasons. Right now we're getting a lot of birds coming back from migration so and they're hitting windows so we get a lot of woodpeckers like that, little songbirds. We're also starting to get the babies coming in because it is springtime so most of them are the, the bunnies and the squirrels and then in about a month we'll be getting ducks and geese as well and all sorts of different types of animals. What are typically some of the reasons why animals need to be rehabilitated? Some of the things that you see most often? All sorts of things. Probably the most prevalent would be cat-caught animals. Um, Lots of people have feral cats or just cats wandering around, so we'll get cat-caught animals. We'll get animals that are hit by cars as well. We just released a red-tailed hawk that was found in the grill of a truck that surprisingly survived, and we managed to release him back to the wild. A lot of orphans as well around this time of year. Sometimes they're unnecessarily orphaned. People don't realize that they might have taken them away from the mother too early. And then other times they might have found mother dead um, nearby. And so we know that, that they need to come in for care. Wildlife Haven, just from having gone through the tour, you guys do so much great work with, with such a small space. It's kind of, it's really amazing um, because it's like an old decommissioned dairy barn. Can you speak to the impact that this new building and this new rehabilitation center will have on your work day-to-day caring for the animals? Having that ability now and seeing it all come to fruition, I know we'll have a lot more space for the animals so we can care for a lot more, which again, we're seeing. And then being able to give them a better opportunity, hopefully they'll recover faster and then we can release them out a lot faster and then get more animals in again. (laughs) Even talking about having x-rays done in-house versus having to, you know, drive out to a vet. And there's all these little things that really add up to not only being able to do more, but being able to do it in a way that's even better for the animals. Yeah, for sure. Like the biggest thing for an animal to recover or for a human, really, you want them to be in in the least amount of stress as possible. So creating little details into the rooms, into the the design of the things, we're able to, to reduce that stress for the animals and then they'll recover faster and get them out the door. One thing I'm also very excited for this new space, we might be able to have volunteers who can help with gardening so then we can be a little more sustainable ourselves, grow our own vegetables for our own animals. We'll have an orchard. We might even be able to to do education on these portions later on and teach kids about, you know, sustainability and all that stuff. And just being able to reach out and do more environmentally friendly things is good. What's one of your your favorite anecdotes or stories of, of working here, working with the animals? That would be the bobcat that we got. This bobcat was very special. She actually came just before Christmas in 2014. She is the only bobcat that Wildlife Haven has ever taken in before. We suspect she might have been abandoned in an old wood pile or got lost and we couldn't find the mother. So we had to basically raise her. She was about two months old when we got her. We had to raise her until the summertime of 2015. And we got to release her back to the, the same area that she was found. 
she obviously didn't turn around and say thank you when she left. <laughs> but just seeing her dash out of that kennel and just run free was was an amazing experience. So if people come across an injured wildlife or, uh, or an orphaned animal, what should they do? What should they keep in mind? If anybody ever comes across any kind of injured or orphan animals, the, the first thing they should do is probably just kind of hang back, maybe give us a call. Sometimes certain animals may appear injured to kind of deter predators from maybe finding the nest or um, to, to just try to run away instead of get captured. So the best thing is to, to call somebody, call Wildlife Haven. We can kind of ask questions, figure out what kind of animals are being dealt with, and then what kind of situation the animal may be. Sometimes they're in a very natural situation that we don't have to disturb them. And then other times we may have to intervene. But the best way to know is just to kind of ask the questions. I guess it's different for every animal. Yeah, bunnies especially. Um, we get a lot of those guys in. People will find a nest of bunnies maybe in their yard or after they're mowing the lawn. People don't realize that the mother doesn't go to the nest unless it's dawn or dusk. So she only goes there twice a day for about 15 minutes each. So people would be waiting for two hours in the middle of the day and they think, oh, it's abandoned. But realistically, yeah, we always ask people to do a 24-hour test, give the mom a chance first to, to come back to her babies. Because realistically, all wildlife, they do much better with, with the care of their own parents rather than in the care of a human being. Thank you so much, Tiffany. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you to Tiffany Louie, Animal Care Coordinator at Wildlife Haven, for speaking with me. And if you'd like to learn more about Wildlife Haven, visit wildlifehaven.ca, or you can also find lots and lots of photos of, uh, of some of the wildlife that, uh, that Wildlife Haven helps out on their Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. The website address, again, uh, where you can find all those links is wildlifehaven.ca. Coming up next, we're headed on our first RC360 road trip to take us past the perimeter. We drove a couple of hours southwest of the city to Manitou, Manitoba, where we visited Nellie's Homes. RC360's Sonny Primolo spoke with Al Thorleifson, a member of the Nellie McClung Heritage Site Committee, and Al showed us the homes and shared a few stories about Nellie and her significance to Manitoba's history. Before we get to that, though, here is Paul Anka with My Hometown, right here on River City 360. I took a little trip to my hometown I only stopped just to look around And as I walked along the thoroughfare There was music playing everywhere The music came from within my heart How did it happen? How did it start? I only know that I fell in love I guess the answer lies up above Oh, what a Reeling, the bells were ringing, the birds were singing, and so the music it goes on and on all through the night until the break of dawn. I hear a birdie up in a tree, I hear him sing this melody, and so he sings. Yeah, 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 yeah
sun goes down I'm with my lover in my hometown And so I sing Welcome to the RC360 Road Trip. This week's destination is Nellie's Homes of Manitou. Let's take a look. And welcome back to River City 360. On this week's road trip, we're here in Manitou visiting Nellie's Homes. I'm here with Al Thorleifson, who does what here? Well, I tour people through the houses. I'm one of the people who uh, works on the project, like the heritage site, and I'm also the archivist for the group. Al has graciously offered to uh, give us a quick tour of Nellie's homes. But before we do that, who is Nellie exactly? Well, we're talking about Nellie McClung. Nellie Mooney was her maiden name, and she first came to Manitou in 1890 as a 16-year-old school teacher. Uh, she married Wes McClung here, and they lived here to 1911. She became a an internationally known author and later on a uh, social justice campaigner and her success in uh, helping women to get the vote in, uh, in Manitoba and in Canada is well known. She also spent a lot of years campaigning on behalf of uh, the poor uh, and also for uh, immigrants. Very neat. So out of the museum here, there's three specific buildings that we're looking at. What's this first building that we're going to be going into? Well, the first one is actually not the oldest. The, the uh, CPR log house was built in the fall of 1882 to house the workers who were building the CPR railroad uh, across this part of the country. Uh, it was used for that purpose for a couple of years, and then uh, when they moved on with their construction to the west, then it was sold to uh, Mrs. Brennock and her family. She uh, was trying to raise six kids uh, by herself. Her husband had passed away, and she was a laundress. And one of the reasons that we expect Nellie would have spent time in the house was because Nellie really believed that people who were having trouble coping needed help. And she spent a lot of time within her community supporting those who needed help. So the Brennocks lived in that house for many decades and uh, uh, remembered Nellie fondly. The second house, the one we called the Hasselfield House or the Hazel Cottage, is actually one of the oldest uh, buildings built by Europeans in this whole district. Uh, it was built of poplar logs from the Pemina Valley, and there's reference in the February 5th issue of the Manitoba Free Press noting that it was being built out here in Manitou at that time. So let's actually uh, take a step into that house, and you can explain uh, what we're seeing inside. Well, this is the house that Nellie stayed in when she first came to Manitou to teach, actually to Hazel District to teach. And uh, when her host brought her into the house. 
The first thing she noticed was the yellow floor, the second thing the geraniums in the window, and the third was the smile on Mrs. Hasselfield's face. When she went into the next room and saw all the books, she knew she, she was in a really good place. Nellie actually lived in the house for about, about two years, and during that time she actually shared a bed with her 16-year-old student, and she and Clara Hasselfield became lifelong friends. Uh, it, she was also living in this house when she first met her future mother-in-law, and that story is important because Mrs. Annie McClung, her future mother-in-law, was already campaigning for women's right to vote in 1890, long before women got the vote in Manitoba, when uh, she confronted a group of ladies in Manitou who were uh, uh, having a quilting party, asking them all to sign this petition. Nellie McClung was the only one who had the nerve to sign it. Wow. So that's how early she was committed to the cause. What are some artifacts from Nellie's past can we see? Well, uh, the bedroom is set up as it would have been when Nellie was living there. The sitting room, there's the organ that she would have heard Clara Hasselfield play every morning. In the uh, main room, uh, where Nellie and the Hasselfield family uh, often spent the evenings, there's the table and chairs where people can sit around and listen to the stories while one person has enough light to see the book. Um, the upstairs is all decorated uh, in uh, the period of 1890, 1895, uh, including, oh, buffalo coats and uh, horse hide throws and photographs of the family from the period. Wow. So right now, when you look at the exterior facade of the building, it, it definitely looks more modern than a log house. Right. But if you go off to the side, you can actually see uh, that it is a, built as a log house. Right. We have to thank uh, Bill Walcraft for this. When Bill Walcraft found out that the uh, Hasselfield house was for sale, he made sure that he asked permission to take it, and he was the one who restored it. He also was the one who made sure you could see through the side walls how huge the poplar logs were that were used to build it. There's another third building here uh, mm -hmm. at the museum. Uh, can you explain to me what this home is? Well, this one is uh, the house that Nellie and Wes McClung bought in 1899. It was built by the Skirfields in 1890. Uh, it's a very spacious uh, home, uh, nine-foot ceilings, 10-foot ceilings. Um, it's all decorated in uh, furniture from the uh, period 1900-1910. Uh, Nellie's library, where she would have written uh, both Sowing Seeds in Danny and The Second Chance, uh, is all decorated showing uh, her books and the work of the works of Charles Dickens, who was one of her mentors, and uh, the uh, the kitchen where Nellie first found out that there was an opening for a story writer, and uh, well, what we've tried to do is to decorate the house as it probably looked in the period when Wes and Nellie lived here. Let's take a walk into that kitchen for a second here. Mm -hmm. So when you walk into this kitchen, you see this amazing stove. It's super, like, <laughs> yeah. I can't the uh, explain it. 
the the stove is uh, it takes up a good part of the room. It's an Imperial Oxford stove. It has a reservoir on one side for heating water. On the other side, there's a waffle iron over the fire, uh, the firebox. Uh, the chimney runs right through the middle of the house, uh, of the middle of the room, because of course, uh, in the in the winter, you don't want to lose any heat at all. So, uh, all of the chimneys were actually. The stovepipes were actually run through the house, through the room, before they went up into the chimney to try and make sure that as much of the heat would be preserved in the home as possible. Yeah. And you also mentioned that this kitchen has significance to Nellie's story. Right. Uh, this is where... Okay, well, Nellie was working in the kitchen one day, and all of a sudden her mother-in-law, Annie McClung, comes running into the house, and she said something like... Nellie, Nellie, there's this editor from Toronto who wants people to write stories and to send them in and he'll publish them. And Nellie said, that's ridiculous. I have to get Florence's dress ready for the party tomorrow. I've got to get lunch ready and the garden needs weeding. I don't have time for that. And Mrs. McClung's response was, Nellie, that's ridiculous. You know that Miss Foster and I can take care of all of those things. You're the one who's the writer. You go in there and sit down and start writing. Well, apparently Nellie did. She wrote a story and sent it off to this editor in Toronto and months went by, nothing. She ended up thinking it was rather a scam. And then all of a sudden, about a year later, she got a, a letter from Toronto and the editor said something to the effect of, you know, we loved your story, but we wondered if you would consider turning it into a novel. And Nellie's first response was, no. And then she thought, you know, there are a lot of people's stories who need telling. And she thought of people like her kids, first of all, and all the things that they heard as they were wandering around the streets of Manitou, about some of the good things in the community and some of the people who were having trouble. She thought of people like Mrs. Gray, who was living uh, by herself on a farm, renting because she had lost everything when her husband passed away because there were no Dower Act provisions to give women the rights to equal ownership of land. She thought of Mrs. Brennach, uh, who was trying to raise her family um, by herself. Her husband had passed away. She was acting as a laundress and trying to make a living like that. And so Nellie, in many ways, she wanted to show people how to take care of one another. That was part of her Methodist approach to religion. Um, social justice was a profoundly important issue to Nellie. And so these are some of the elements that come up in Sowing Seeds in Danny and in The Second Chance and in many of other uh, Nellie's other uh, books over the years. Uh, the whole issue of taking care of one another, of making sure that you support one another and to make the world a better place. And that's where it started, right here in this kitchen. Wow. As you mentioned, she would have went into the reading room to write this. Oh yeah, she went into her library, sat down and started writing it. And speaking of that library, there's actually something really special in there. There's a special photo that you probably will not be able to see anywhere else in this world. 
That's guaranteed. Yeah, so what? Uh, what? <laughs> it's it's actually a publicity photo, and we we think it's a publicity photo because we know of at least three other poses that were taken probably exactly at the same setting, the same sitting as well, um, because there's very few changes in the way Nellie is holding her hand or the way she's looking at the camera. And we expect that this and the other three images that were taken that same day were used as publicity photos as she was preparing to go on tour. Because of course, by 1909, she was doing book tours all over Canada and the United States. Mm -hmm. And if, of course, if you want to catch a glimpse of this, you will have to come here to Manitou and you will. visit Nellie's <laughs> uh, Speaking of that, how can people get a hold of you to come in, take a tour, and learn more about Nellie's Well, Holmes? we'd love to have people come. You can find us on the web. You can find us also if you go, go to Nellie's Homes. We're open from May to October. Um, by appointment, uh, if you want a formal tour. Uh, if you just want to drop by, you're free to do that. There's a phone number on the buildings letting, the, letting you know who to get in touch with if you'd like to, a tour. And uh, we also have summer staff as well who can help you out. I'd like to thank Al again for taking us on a tour of Nellie's Homes. If you want to really catch a glimpse of Manitoba's history or... Canada's history for that matter. Make sure you come here to Manitou and visit Al. Thank you, Al. Thank you very much. There's lots of us who are working together on this project. We're very proud of it and uh, we really do want to uh, make sure that people don't forget the value of the work that Nellie McClung and her age mates did to make Canada a better place. Thank you. Thanks for coming on the RC360 road trip. See you next week, same time, different place. Thanks so much, Sunny, and thank you to Al Thorleafson for the wonderful tour of Nellie's Homes. You can learn more by visiting the website at nellieshomes.ca. And if you'd like to visit Nellie's Homes for yourself, the official address is 1 Main Street in Manitou, but you can easily find it just off of Highway 3 in Manitou. And something else that's going on this weekend in Manitou is the Manitou Agricultural Fair. That's actually taking place this Saturday, July 7th, and Sunday, July 8th. There's lots of activities going on. There is a horse show, a cattle show, slow pitch tournament, petting zoo, and lots more. So if you'd like to check out the country fair that's celebrating its 135th anniversary this year, Manitou is the place to be. And don't forget that we are doing our River City 360 road trip all throughout Manitoba throughout the summer. So if there's a museum or an archive that you'd like for us to visit, it could be anywhere in Manitoba, let us know. We would love to hear from you. Tell us what it is and why we should make it our next road trip. You can give us a call on our listener line. The number to call is 204-944-9474, extension 360. And uh, leave us a message 24-7. Let us know where we should go on our next road trip. When we come back, we'll learn more about Villa Rosa and the programming that it provides to support mothers in need. But before we get to that, we're going to hear from the Pat Riccio Quartet with just one of those things right here on River City 360.
Hello and welcome back to River City 360. I'm Sonny Promolo and with me today is Kathy Strachan, Executive Director of Villa Rosa. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Thank you. For those that don't really know about Villa Rosa, tell our listeners exactly what services you provide and uh, how do you do it? Well, Villa Rosa has actually been in Winnipeg since 1898, which surprises a lot of people. But we provide services, support, and accommodation to young single pregnant women all over Manitoba. And we have a a school here. We have teachers from the Winnipeg School Division. And we're not a school per se. We're like a drop-in set of classrooms like they would have at the Children's Hospital or something. So women can resume their schooling here um, after they find out that they're pregnant. And we also have many other programs, uh, parenting programs, decision-making and counselling, to help them make a plan for themselves and their baby. Lots of parenting programs, independent living, money management, that kind of thing. That's really awesome. Um, So what is the cost for the people that uh, partake in your services? For the women who come here, there is no cost at all. Unless you are coming to us from a First Nation, and that funding is a little different, um, everyone in the province is covered uh, under a grant we have with the provincial government. Um, Those who are coming to us from a First Nation in Manitoba, their particular band covers a per diem cost uh, when they have young women from there coming here. Are there any stories that you can share with us about some of the women's experiences? Oh, we've just had so many amazing Uh, women here who've just overcome incredible obstacles and, you know, sometimes they come to us and they're, you know, they're right out of a treatment program, you know, having uh, worked their way through their addiction or, you know, just a really, a really tough upbringing and they've, you know, come to us from a lot of different group homes and their schooling may have been interrupted going back and forth to their First Nation and, Sometimes just the stability of living here for uh, their entire pregnancy and they can stay at our postnatal house um, for up to a year after their baby is born. So sometimes that means we can have women for up to two years. And so quite often they can actually finish their high school diploma here doing that. And then they can go on and go into post-secondary. We've had women here receive scholarships from us to become social workers and carpenters and, you know, have gone through many, many different programs out here right at the university or Red River College or the Aboriginal Centre's carpentry program. One of our young women was uh, the only female carpenter at who was building the Winnipeg airport a few years ago. So that was kind of exciting. Wow. And I also hear that over 90% of Villa Rosa's babies weigh over the recommended healthy birth weight, uh, which is the best indicator of future health and wellness. Yes, it's quite, you know, when they live here uh, being pregnant, the, we have an amazing cook here and she makes uh, three snacks a day as well as lunch and dinners. They they put together their breakfast themselves from, you know, a kitchen out in our main lounge. But there is always food here. Uh, staff are always gaining weight, but <laughs> it's a wonderful place to be while you're pregnant. Approximately how many women use your services a year? Well, a lot of women use our services, uh, but only about... Um, it, it varies, but you know, I would say approximately 85 women a year uh, live here and go through our program. But we, our intake social worker, 
does receives many many phone calls like up you know in the 400 range of people who may not quite fit our program so she does lots of information and referrals um, sort of counseling on the phone, meeting with people, helping them find the resources they need. For instance, Villa Rosa cannot, you know, bring in a pregnant woman that has a two-year-old in her care because we just don't have the facilities to have other children here as well. So she would, you know, refer them to appropriate places. This is not a mandated program, so it's completely voluntary. So she does a lot more tours than actually move in. We also have one social worker who works just in the community with our mums after they've left here. She only works with probably 30 families at a time, but her entire caseload is hundreds because she never really closes, you know, anybody's file. Sometimes, you know, 15 years later, one of our past mums will call her and say, you know, you referred me to a great program one time and now my friend needs it or now I'm being evicted and I need to know the number that you know I call to get residential tenancies or something like that. Finding someone who's in the same position and who still has the same phone number is kind of rare in the social services, so she is very popular. Yeah, that's totally awesome. It's still like creating that connection. For those wanting to help, how can they provide support? I know you have different ways that people can help you out. Well, of course, we always accept monetary donations, but other kinds of donations are we wouldn't be able to operate without them. Uh, The city of Winnipeg has very generous donors that keep us in diapers and formula and new baby clothes and used baby clothes, as well as things you wouldn't necessarily think of, like menstrual pads and deodorant and toothbrushes and shampoo, you know, that kind of thing uh, is something we go through every day. Quite often, uh, women will arrive here with only the clothes on their back. And we really rely on the donations that come in, you know, for the maternity clothes, for the, you know, for the personal supplies that that, uh, may be needed when they come in, as well as throughout their stay here. And for those that want to drop off items, where is Villa Rosa located? We are at 784 Wolseley Avenue, which is just west of the Maryland Bridge on Wolseley. And, you know, you can certainly come and drop off anything during the day, anytime. Uh, For some larger items, like we do accept furniture and household goods, like, you know, anything you might need to set up an apartment, like cutlery or dishes, that kind of thing. But with those bigger items, it's always good to call first, A, to see if we've got room to store it, and also to, you know, make sure we're ready for you if you're coming to deliver a dresser or something. As far as uh, trying to get more information on Villa Rosa, what is your website address? Our website is www.villarosa.mb.ca. Thank you again, Kathy, for coming to speak with us today. Uh, Before I let you go, is there anything that you would like to add? Oh, just um, our goal with every pregnant woman here is that she have a healthy baby. So we have lots of healthy food as well as being a drug and alcohol-free environment. Please like us on Facebook. Uh, We're Villa Rosa, Inc. And we have lots of good parenting information, parenting cartoons, um, information about things that we need at various points in time. It's just a really good informational uh, Facebook page. Very cool. Thank you, Kathy. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks, Sonny, and thank you to Kathy Strachan for speaking with us today.
We're going to take a quick musical break. Here's Bert Camfort with Free as a Bird right here on River City 360. Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and it's time for our segment called This Week in Winnipeg, where we take a look at some of the uh, events that are taking place this weekend throughout our city. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, the Winnipeg Folk Festival is taking place this weekend, so tonight, uh, July 5th through the 8th, and uh, a lot of very well-known artists are performing. You have Cheryl Crow, Bahamas, Courtney Barnett, The Strumbellas, L. King, Passenger, Natalie McMaster, The John Butler Trio, and A Tribe Called Red, just to name a few of the artists that will be performing throughout the weekend. A lot of local artists will be performing as well, and it's always a good time, so definitely something worth checking out at Birds Hill Provincial Park this weekend. There's also a family fun event that's taking place at the St. Boniface Museum that's happening on Friday, July the 6th at 12.30 in the afternoon. And uh, the event's called On the Métis Trail, and it focuses on the bison hunt and on recreating some of the elements that were important to Métis culture and to the bison hunt. So that, again, is happening at 12.30 on Friday, July the 6th at St. Boniface Museum, 494 Taché Avenue. And there's lots more music to check out at Assiniboine Park. 
through the Summer Entertainment Series that's taking place at the Lyric Theatre. Tonight, on July 5th, there is the Winnipeg Pops Orchestra that'll be playing at 7 p.m. at the Lyric Stage. And on Sunday, July the 8th, there will be the Winnipeg Golden Chordsman Barbershop Chorus and Sweet Adelines. So they're going to be performing Sunday, July the 8th at 7 p.m. That's taking place at the Lyric Stage. And uh, also there's Jazz in the Leo Mall Sculpture Garden that's happening throughout the summer on Sundays at 3 p.m. And this Sunday, July the 8th, is Nadia Douglas starting off the Jazz in the Leo Mall Sculpture Garden series happening all throughout July and August on Sunday. Also opening up this Friday, July the 6th at the Manitoba Museum is a new exhibit called Hockey, the Stories Behind Our Passion. And it tells the story of hockey through highlight reels, interactive pieces, and a variety of different artifacts. That's taking place up until January 13, 2019, so lots of time to see it, but it opens this Friday, July the 6th, in Alloway Hall at the Manitoba Museum. And if there's a local event that you'd like for us to cover on This Week in Winnipeg, feel free to drop us a line with the event details. The email address is rivercity360 at wpgfdn.org. And we've got time for one more song here on River City 360. Here's Les Paul with Get Happy right here on River City 360. Thank you. 
And that's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for listening, and a big thank you to all of our guests for joining us today. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, you can visit our website at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. And we'd love to hear your feedback about the show. Please give us a call and uh, let us know what you thought about today's show. Let us know if there's a a spot in Manitoba, a museum or an archive that we should visit on our next RC360 road trip. Or just say hello, request a song, whatever you like. We'd love to hear from you. You can give us a call on our listener line. It's open 24-7. All you have to do is leave us a message. The number to call is 204 944 9474 extension 360. You can also send us an email. Our email address is rivercity360, that's 360, at wpgfdn.org. And the phone number to our listener line one more time if you've got a pen and paper handy, that is 204 944 9474 extension 360. You can also find us on Twitter at RiverCity360, and you can find us on Facebook as well by searching RiverCity360. I'm Robert Zirk, signing off for this week's episode of RiverCity360. My co-host Nolan Bicknell will be back next week, and until then, have a great day and a great weekend.